For two years, from late 1968 until the latter part of 1970, an unknown killer roamed the San Francisco area, killing three pairs of men and women and another man, mostly via shooting, before slipping back into the mists of obscurity. Maybe. There are a few others, both before and after, which may be his handiwork, and he claimed no less than 37. This killer communicated via bizarre coded letters with the newspapers, not the police. This, of course, is the infamous Zodiac Killer. But he was not the first Lover's Lane murderer who penned bizarrely encrypted messages. This is episode 15, and this is the story of an almost forgotten New York serial killer who was known in the press by the name 3X. Matchin once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. The Don Juan Grocery Man of College Point, newspapers began to call Joseph Mazinski when news of his, shall we say, exploits in the neighborhood near present-day Shea Stadium came to light. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. 49-year-old grocer Joseph Mazinski, a married father of six, was parked in a car with 19-year-old Catherine May, doing whatever it is that men and women parked in deserted sections of town usually do. A man came up to the car and asked Mazinski for his license. Showing the license to the man, the man responded practically without warning by shooting Mazinski twice in the head. The killer then grabbed May and raped her, following which he gave her a piece of paper and escorted her to a bus stop. On the bus, May read the paper given to her by the killer. In red ink was scrawled, Joseph Mazinski, 3X097. On June 13th, the New York Journal-American, one of the city's several daily newspapers, received a bizarre letter from, the, from someone who claimed to be the killer that shot the man the night before. City Editor, kindly print this in your paper for Mazinski's friends. CCNYADCMY16A DQRPA241 PM6, Queens. By doing this, you may save their lives, and the women may know where the missing papers are and who has them since they were given to Mazinski. We do not want any more shooting unless we have to. Signed, 3X, the man behind the gun. Catherine May told Assistant District Attorney Stephen Frontera that Mazinski was slain by Albert Lombardo, a gangster. A former boyfriend of May's who was apparently reluctant to let the relationship go, a Joseph Moisette, 
was also brought in for questioning on May's recommendation. But questioning revealed that Moisette had no connection to the murder, and Lombardo didn't even exist. That day, 3X also sent another letter to the Journal American. Gentlemen, for your information, the young lady, Miss C. May, involved in the case, is innocent and a victim of unfortunate circumstances. We always get them through their women friends. Mazinski was nothing more than a rascal, a dirty rat. Not two women, as in the papers, but six, and two young girls, 114 and 115, were with him in the same place. I am the agent of a secret international order, and when I met Mazinski last night, it was to get from him certain documents, but unfortunately they were not in his possession. If his relative knew so much of his luck with women, maybe he would tell us what became of the following items. NYX 2673, NJ 4344, and Philadelphia XV 346. These papers must be returned to us at once, or 14 more of Mazinski's friends will join him. Mazinski's relatives and friends have up to Monday, 12 p.m., to bring these documents to us, or to have someone get in touch with us and tell us where to find them. If no answer is received by that time, we will start merry hell for all of them. Signed, AV3X, the man behind the gun. The next day, June 15th, Catherine May was turned over to be held in Queens County Jail after she gave more contradictory testimony claiming now that she herself committed the murder. Police declared her accountings of the murder unsatisfactory. The night of June 16th, another killing came in the neighborhood of the Creedmoor Asylum. An unidentified man stopped a boy on a bicycle and said that there was a dead body in a car up the road. Here police found the body of an electrician named Noel Sally, 26, who was in the car with Betty Ring, the 22-year-old married daughter of a policeman. Into Sally's coat pocket was put a newspaper clipping detailing the murder of Mazinski, with the words, Here's How, penciled in the margins. Once again, the killer escorted Miss Ring to a bus and gave her a note on which was scrawled, Sally, 3X. One question presents itself. Why did the killer not rape Ring as he had May? Did he know she was the daughter of a cop? After all, he seems to have known who the victims were before he killed them. Or was it, as he claimed in one of his letters, due to her reaction to him at the time of the Sally murder? He claimed she was more defiant, where May was more fearful. Was it the fact that she was married, whereas May was single? At the end of the day, this is just one more unanswered question. A short time later, another letter was delivered to the offices of the Journal American. You have not published the code message sent to you. Too bad. For your information, there is more work for the police. Tonight at 10 p.m., Sally was bumped off near Floral Park, and not far away from a police signal station. You will find him near an auto junk pile. We have selected this night to do it as Mazinski was buried today. This is our second warning to them. Thirteen more men and one woman will go the same way if they do not return two of the missing papers. NY document was found on Sally last night, and also some of her money. As in the case of Mazinski's girlfriend, the girl was put on a bus and sent home. We always get them through their women friends. 3X. Another letter, 
largely identical in content, was sent to the police, along with a spent shotgun shell the killer claimed was used to kill Sally. Later, this was disproven as both victims were killed with a 32 caliber bullet. The next day, yet another letter was sent to the newspaper. I advise you to publish this code message, AV3X. Tonight one more will go. You may let them know 3X is the man behind the gun. He asks for no quarter, but will give none. On June 18th at 9pm, I will be at College Point to get WRV8. After the two shootings took place, the descriptions of the killer by May and Ring were compiled by the police and seemed markedly consistent. 40 years old, 5 feet 6 inches, 125 pounds, pale complexion, wrinkled face, dark clothes, dark gray soft hat, speaks with foreign accent, was Catherine's recollection of her lover's killer. 30 years old, pale complexion, thin face, sunken cheeks, lanky build, little hump on bridge of nose, small eyes, thick lips, peculiar teeth, wore black suit, black bow tie, white shirt, soft white collar, and black fedora hat with telescopic brim. Speaks with accent indicating German extraction. Wore a small, round bronze button on left lapel of coat, marked Rifle Association. Also on June 16th, a 40-year-old man named Morris Steinfeld from Manhattan drowned himself in the East River off Long Island City. The proprietor of the baths with Steinfeld committed suicide received the following letter on June 20th, ostensibly from the Queen's killer. However, although 3X did indeed claim to be foreign, the broken English of this letter seemed to contradict that, since 3X wrote in a, con in a sophisticated manner. And this was not in a sophisticated manner. This letter seems to indicate someone who spoke only in broken English, or even who suffered from a mental impairment. One woman, widow from California, plenty of money, friend of a man who had a lot of cash to buy a home, wife with two men who make real estate business all summer at Breeze, bathing, will make paper sign. Go in the water past ropes. Push lady and man in water castle baths. No more lady and man. Man go away with money and papers of house. These men no pay me my money. Murders. Steal. Many people money come to bath in a few weeks. On June 19th, the Journal American received yet another letter. WRV8 of CP has returned the Philadelphia XV346 to me tonight after reading your paper. Also $37,000 of blackmail money. Thanks to God, if I may use his name, wrote the killer. He said the return document was enough to spare the life of WRV8, the woman, and five of the men. The following document is still missing. NJ4344 and $39,000 for this document. The following people are still marked for death. X14, X12, Y2, O6, X7, S1, and V4. The only way they may continue to live is to follow the directions in this code message. NJCC.KZMAWAEEAA.V3XRG4MYTRP49.6 After the killer recounted the killings of Mazinski and Sally, 
he said of the police, Sorry for them that it's a black mark against them, but they'll never find out who I am. One word from anyone means death or a long term to state or federal penitentiary. Again, thank you for your kindness. Please do not forget to publish the, the enclosed message. Also, the numbers of those who have been spared and those who are still marked for death. I will wait to see what will happen. I will not shoot until they decide their fates themselves. That same day, Joseph Mazinski's brother, John, living at 3325 Almond Street in Philadelphia, also received a letter ostensibly from 3X. It claimed that he was next on the killer's hit list, and to leave the papers in the bathroom of the Broad Street train station or face the consequences. The next day, an escaped inmate from the Creedmoor State Hospital named Joseph Clark was discovered in Philadelphia. He was living in a boarding house on North 10th Street run by a woman named Mrs. Hansen. After she spoke to Clark about two visitors, he muttered, They'll never catch me. I'm going to get out of here and go to the mountains. Clark was committed by his family in 1915 and first escaped in 1921. He was soon recaptured and returned to the asylum only to escape again on June 2nd, 1929. He was only recaptured after a fracas between himself and seven detectives, in the course of which much of his room was wrecked. Clark's room in the boarding house had a typewriter, on which were typed nearly 200 letters. These were addressed to F.W. Clark of Queens Village, several Brooklyn and Manhattan lawyers, former district attorney of Brooklyn, Charles J. Dodd, and an unnamed resident of Rocky Hill Road also in Queens. Several letters were also written to various celebrities of the time, including Al Jolson, Will Rogers, Greta Garbo, and boxer Jack Johnson. Clark did not resemble the man described by either of the witnesses and was taken back to New York as an escapee, not as a suspect. It is unknown if John Mazinski's letters were from Clark or not. That night, a man named Morris Horowitz, 50, President of the Municipal Underwriters Incorporated Insurance Brokers, was shot in front of his house at 1287 Carroll Street in Brooklyn. Horowitz had just seated himself in his car when a man ran up and quickly opened the door, jamming a gun at him and telling him to drive. I'm not going to argue with you, he told Horowitz when he began to protest. Get this car going and keep it going. The salesman continued to argue, and when his wife came out of the house, the carjacker panicked, hit Horowitz over the head with the butt of his pistol, shot him once in the shoulder, and ran off. Two empty forty-five caliber shells were found near the car. By the next day, however, the notion that this was connected to 3X was discarded when Horowitz described his assailant as 28 or 30, weighing, one, weighing 130 pounds and 5 feet 5 inches tall. The man described was considerably smaller and younger than 3X. The June 20th funeral of Noel Sally was watched closely by police, mindful of the fact that the killer claimed to have attended that of Joseph Mazinski. Meanwhile, police believed that though his quote-unquote activities took place in Queens, the killer himself was likely a resident of Brooklyn, as most of his letters bore a Brooklyn postmark. A man named John D. Galveo, recently arrived from Boston, was arrested as a vagrant in Newark, New Jersey. The arresting officer, Mac Early, felt that he resembled descriptions of the 3X killer. Back in New York, detectives spent the evening in Nassau County 
following up on a lead uncovered by detectives there. Captain Harold King of the detective unit found that on the night of the 18th, a motorist was driving, alone, along Nassau Boulevard, just outside Queens, and had pulled off the road for a minute when he was approached by a man who demanded the papers of his that the motorist had. The man, who was from Hempstead, felt that the man who questioned him answered favorably to the descriptions of 3X. Given the contents of the letter the Evening Journal received on the 19th regarding a man who had given the killer the documents he sought, one wonders if this was indeed a legitimate encounter with the killer. Was the motorist the individual called WRV8, and the actual reason for him not being killed was that he was alone in the car? Police Commissioner Edward P. Mulrooney took an active part in the investigation, presumably since Betty Ring, the companion of Sally, had been a policeman's daughter. The police had received a letter asking, Where is X8W9? He is already dead. He is on the Boston Road. His name is Harold Breidenbach. Find the woman, old man, and you've got me. Commissioner Mulrooney, on June 20th, stated that, in his opinion, this letter was not genuine, being to his eye penned in a different style of handwriting than the previous letters. His suspicions were supported when a checkup seemed to reveal that nobody named Harold Breidenbach lived in the metropolitan New York area. The police were at first interested by the discovery of a decapitated body along the railroad tracks near the Boston Road, but it was later determined that that body was that of Alfred Elling, 51, and was a suicide. On June 21st, while detectives were in Brooklyn following up on a tip provided by Reverend J.V. Cooper of Emmanuel Episcopal Church of Sheepshead Bay, pointing to a former Secret Service agent who for years had delusions of being persecuted by foreign agents, a man, by the way, whom witness Betty Ring seemed to at least tentatively think may have been the man. 3X's favorite media outlet, the journal American, received another missive from the killer. The last, the last document, NJ4344, was returned to us the 19th at 9pm. My mission is ended. There is no further cause for worry. I do not know Dr. Williams and the others. The first sign means A the Supreme Tribunal of the Order. The second, V, its special agent. The two combined formed the Red Diamond of Russia, a secret organization all over the world. Anyone breaking its rules is marked for death. These men were dismissed for treason. They were all our friends, but came into contact with a gang of blackmailers in a drug ring and turned against us. One of them stole the documents mentioned before, and they tried to use them for blackmailing our men here. Most of us are soldiers, and every nation in the world is represented in our ranks. Word came to us at the Supreme Council in Russia of the peril in the U.S. Twelve of us picked one card. Mine was the King of Diamonds. I was the one selected to punish and inflict death if necessary. I have patiently waited. I have warned them all of the danger. Instead of heeding the warning, they answered me by blackmail. They were requested many times for the return of the papers, but refused to surrender them. It was when Mazinski died that they found out who I am. Now it is all over. The documents in question, one is a military document, another is political, and a third one just surrendered is commercial. Who am I? Not much. An ex-German army officer of the Wilhelmstrasse office 
Berlin during the war. Now in the service of the Red Diamond of Russia. Yes, the code was addressed to Sally. Now it is all over. You show me to be brave. Your policemen are brave men, only they need training. I was watching them at CP on the 18th at 9 sharp. A German officer never breaks his word. Yes, right there. Have you heard a plane? It was a monoplane, small, very fast. The plane circled twice over Flushing, CP, Bayside, then went away. If you did, then you will know I was there. I have no fish eyes. The police have fish eyes. They have always been wrong from beginning to end. That is why they have lost from beginning to end. For two reasons. One I have stated to you, the other they are too slow. I am deeply sorry for having stained your country with blood. But let this be a warning. Treason of one means death. The next time no mercy will be shown. Death only will be the penalty. But I hope I will not be the one to inflict it next time. We are not maniacs or bandits or robbers. Robbery was never the motive, and we do not belong to any dope ring. This is final. You know what we want you to know. Quiet your people, and tell them the three X's no more. HP 12WA P.S. Do not let anyone fool you. If any more letters come, they are fakes. I am leaving today on my way back to Russia. Please note I do not write USSR. We do not recognize them. There is no one else to begin trouble. It is settled. HP 12WA The large German shepherd dog belonging to Hel Moransky of Bath in the Finger Lakes region of New York State had been missing since the 17th. Though she apparently took it as a threat issued by the killer of her brother, for she was, after all, the sister of Joseph Mazinski, and her other brother had already been threatened, she didn't ask for police protection. Meanwhile, even as late as the 22nd, police in Queens were still searching for 3X, systematically checking up on any mental patients from the city. One of these was a man named Joseph Ustica, an escapee from the infamous Kings Park State Hospital on Long Island, which was suffering severe overcrowding like most other mental facilities were in those years. Ustica, along with his business partner Anthony DiPolito, was convicted of the July 14, 1928, murder of William F. Gilbride. DiPolito swore that while he struck Gilbride, it was Ustica who actually murdered the man, beating him to death with a crowbar. Apparently, the actual charges revealed that it was DiPolito, not Ustica, who was the actual ringleader of the plot. DiPolito was, was confined to Sing Sing and Ustica to Kings Park. At some point, Ustica was recaptured, and later discharged as sane. In 1933, he was being tried for the murder in Nassau County. But also by this time, Depolito had changed his mind and declined to testify against Ustica, claiming he had been beaten and mistreated on his initial arrest in 1928. The trial was eventually dismissed due to this refusal. Both Commissioner E.P. Mulrooney and Captain Herbert Graham of the Detectives Division felt that the killer was not an asylum inmate but a man on whom the, the mania has come somewhat recently. But better safe than sorry. Captain Graham apparently placed little faith in 3X's statement of his intention to stop killing. He may actually have stopped for a little while, but that makes no difference to us. I won't be satisfied until we have the man, and I know Commissioner Mulrooney will not feel secure until then either. 
Unquestionably, there is a killing maniac at large. He may have ceased operations for the time being, but he will break out again. We've got to find him before that time. There is absolutely no question that one man killed both of these two victims, he went on, and there is no question that he is a bad actor and a dangerous lunatic. If the facts surrounding the murders were not enough to prove that, we have the report of Captain Butts, pistol expert of the department. That report shows that bullets fired from the same revolver killed both men. It is an old-style thirty-two caliber, which probably doesn't shoot quite accurately, in the opinion of Captain Butts. As for these letters he has written, I'm of the opinion that the murderer wrote the letters, but for police purposes, they don't mean a thing. Certainly I'd be foolish to say, just because a new letter has been received stating that he has ended his campaign, that I think he'll quit now. On the contrary, I think he'll be active again, but not, perhaps, right away. The borough of Queens are, is in danger, and no one realizes it more than the police do. We are working hard to catch this man. We have hundreds of detectives doing nothing else but trying to trap him, and yet I wouldn't be surprised if some cop on post somewhere, or some traffic cop, would run into him and finally bring him in. You see, we have practically nothing to go on. All we can do is lay every trap possible, do everything possible, and trust to a break. Arrests were still made. A German was arrested on July 9th after he was discovered in some bushes in Douglaston, Queens. He was tentatively identified by Catherine May as the man who killed Mazinski, though apparently not by Ring, or perhaps he was never even seen by Ring. The next day, a man who had been making harassing phone calls to Edna Sanchez, secretary to borough president George Harvey, and claiming to be the 3X murderer, was also arrested. When she received the fourth call, she kept the man on the phone long enough for Detective John J. Gallagher to run a trace. We are not going to murder you. We are going to slowly mutilate you and torture you to death, and not in the daytime, but only after the moon sets. We will get you when you least expect. Your bodyguard will do you no good. Are you afraid to die? I know you women. You are beautiful, but have no brains, so you are easy to get. I am not a wild-eyed fiend, but a respectable businessman with a good flow of English and a complete education. If the police try to get me in the telephone booth, they will find only a shadow. If they take me to the station, I am furnished with a complete alibi. I warn you that I'm gonna start all over again. Gallagher located the phone booth from which the call was made at a railroad station in Harlem. The man was brought in, but it was found he was not connected with the prior murders. In November of that year, a masked man approached the car in which an unnamed Queens resident and a lady friend sat. He robbed the man of some money and his car, the girl still inside. Joseph Luisi of Brooklyn reported that the same evening he saw a masked man watching him and his companion through the back window. Luisi attempted to drive away, but the man jumped onto the running board pulled a gun, stole his car, and stole all Luisi's money. And like in the Queen's incident, the companion was still in the car when it was taken. An interesting coincidence is that the Queen's resident's car was found abandoned only a short distance from where Luisi was held up. This was initially looked at as possibly connected to 3X, but that possibility as well was later discarded. 
On the evening of September 9, 1931, Benjamin P. Collings was killed and thrown over the side of his yacht. His wife, Lillian, was placed in a motorboat and sent towards Connecticut. The Collings' daughter, Barbara, was also on the yacht and was not found until the yacht was. There were two assailants, Mrs. Collings said, one elder and one younger. The elder man was alternately cruel to her and treated her kindly, she said. He's somewhat of the type of the 3X Queens killer, though District Attorney El Elvin Edwards of Nassau County denied that the possibility of the pirate being 3X was being pursued. Another tentative 3X incident took place about two weeks later, on September 27th. A wild-eyed stranger, about 5'8", well-dressed, about 160 pounds with gray eyes and dark hair, broke into the studios of NBC at 711 Fifth Avenue at 11 a.m., declaring that the program about to be aired was a personal attack on him and he wouldn't allow its airing. Another 3X letter surfaced only a few days later and led detectives to examine the NBC incident more closely. After all, the man had said he was willing to murder to keep the program from airing. The letter read, The three men will be executed at the same time. You will be notified when it happens, and you will find them in a wireless station, not in parked cars. This, again, was discarded. Six years later, on the night of October 2, 1937, another Queen's murder, which seems superficially similar, took place. Louis Weiss and Francis Hajek, both 20, were found dead in a car parked in a wooded area in the Hollis neighborhood in the vicinity of what is now Vanderbilt Parkway. Weiss had been shot twice in the head, and Hajek lay, lay half in, half out of the car, as if she had been struggling to get out when shot. She was also stabbed. Both had red circles drawn on their heads with Hajek's lipstick. For this, for this reason, they're known as the Red Circle Murders. Weiss's driver's license was out and lying face up in his lap, a fact which was found alarming since... As you may recall, 3X originally asked Mazinski for his license before shooting him twice. An 18-year-old boy named Wadsworth Vojic of Floral Park was arrested on October 9th, charged with attempting to grab a woman named Lizette Michael in June. Vojic had also admitted that he had been at the same roller skating rink as Weiss and Hajex shortly before their murders. It was also reported that another boy, age 20, a restaurant employee, appeared at a local police station, turning himself in as possibly being the killer. He claimed he found himself in the same wooded area that night with a gun and a knife, but I don't know for certain, and I don't know what could have happened to them. On November 17th, the city editor of the Long Island Daily Press also received a letter making reference to the killings. Find a WPA workman whose name starts with P and you will get information about the lipstick case. The letter was postmarked flushing. Several detectives were dispatched to the woods. Several workers with the WPA, or Works Progress Administration, later renamed the Works Projects Administration, which was part of the New Deal, were employed there, but none whose names began with P, though. The Red Circle murders, along with the mysterious 3X, remain unsolved, and likely will remain so, for as Captain Patrick D. Tyrell of the Secret Service wrote, time is the criminal's greatest ally.
And that's the end of this episode. A list of the sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description. If you have a question, a comment, or know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77, lowercase f, lowercase d, all one word, at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next episode, this is Andrew signing off.